Today's conversation is a bonus episode that we're adding to our chronic pain series, where we're talking with three different experts about how chronic pain affects creative professionals and what you can do about it. Make sure to check out that three-part series with somatic movement teacher Julie Farbaugh, TV editor turned chronic pain therapist Anna Holtzman, as well as medical doctor, author, and meditation teacher Christiana Wolf. So this bonus conversation is one where I'm actually the guest and the host of today's conversation is Anna Holtzman on her podcast, which is titled From Chronic Pain to Passion. And in this conversation, I go deep into my history with burnout in ways that I have never talked about on the show before. And I also discuss my most recent and ongoing recovery from getting COVID. Anna helps me unpack the timing of my bouts of burnout, and she coaches me through new ways of dealing with it. I hope that you get as much value from this conversation as I did. Zach, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time out to be on this podcast. As you know, I'm a huge fan of yours. So it's really uh, an honor and a pleasure to have you here. Welcome. Yeah, I appreciate it. And as you know, having uh, been on my podcast, which we'll release soon, I'm also now a fan of yours and the work that you're doing. So I think there's there's well, a thanks. lot of uh, a lot of mutual admiration here today. Well, that that's really lovely. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, would you like to start off by sharing with my listeners what you do and who you help? Sure. Uh, so I'm a recently retired Hollywood film and television editor, and we can talk all about the years of imposter syndrome that it took for me to construct that single sentence. Uh, but recently retired Hollywood film and TV editor that is now turned career strategist. And I work with artists, storytellers, and creatives, and I help them design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career path that I believe that we all deserve. Got the Optimize Yourself program, got the podcast, I do coaching, I do writing, blogging, uh, love building online courses and resources just to, to help creatives navigate the giant, messy, un, uh, you know, undesigned uh, path that we all have to wade through in this, you know, weirdness that is the entertainment industry. Amazing. And just, so I'm just going to share a little aside for my listeners who might be interested in hearing this. The reason that I know about Zach and reached out to him is because I used to work as a video editor. I was working in reality TV and I had heard of Zach, in my opinion, kind of a legend in the industry because Zach had this long running podcast at the time called Fitness and Post that was really popular among film and video editors. And now it's transformed into the Optimize Yourself podcast. Um, so I'd heard about you for so long. I had listened to your podcast because of my, you know, my interests intersected with it because I was an editor and now I'm in the the wellness area as you are. So there's a lot of intersection there. And I was very honored to be on your podcast. Uh, that'll come out soon as well. Yeah. Well, I, I love the fact that you're an OG and you go all the way back to the fitness and post days because those that feels like long, uh, long ago, ancient history to me. But that is definitely where it all began is figuring out how can I how can I have a more sustainable, i.e. less crazy life doing the work that I love that's also slowly killing me. So it's just yeah. figuring out how, how can I, you know, live in this small, dark windowless room for 16 hours a day and not let it kill me because I loved the work, but I hated the lifestyle. So that, that was kind of the genesis yeah. of where it all began. And I resonate with that so hardcore, although you have worked on some much, much cooler content in the, in the editing arena than I got to. 
And for listeners, I think it's cool to know that you worked on Cobra Kai, which is a show I love. Yeah, um, definitely one that I love too. I'm definitely a big fan of it and, uh, you know, a bit, a bit of a, a fanboy too. So totally understand. Yeah. Um, so what led you to the work that you are doing now? Uh, the shortest way to describe it would be in a single word that I think a lot of your listeners might relate to, which is burnout. The big giant B word. Um, I had spent the the majority of both, you know, my younger years in high school and college, and then in my career, very much chasing what the industry defined as success. It was all about getting bigger credits, working on bigger projects, making more money, and of course, chasing the gold statues. That was the definition of success that we were all supposed to be working towards. Um, and I was doing very well at that. I worked on some very high profile stuff as an editor pretty early in my career. Um, I had the opportunity to, I ended up winning uh, a golden trailer award for the first trailer I ever cut for anybody that doesn't know the golden trailers is kind of the, the Oscars of the trailer world. Um, and the very first trailer that I edited five months uh, outside of college graduation, win a golden trailer, all of a sudden my, uh, my career as a trailer editor uh, really started to expand very, very quickly and realized I don't want to work in trailers. I want to work in long form and I want to do scripted features. And at the time I didn't know yet I wanted to do scripted TV because TV was very, very different way back in the day when, when I was editing, like the TV was different than it is now. Um, so I went into features and until I realized that um, I loved character-driven stories and all the great character-driven stories were transitioning to TV. So I made three major career transitions in eight years, all of which everybody said you can't do. Transition from short-form trailers to long-form features and then from long-form features uh, to cable and network television. So I was, I was walking the path. I was climbing the ladder that I was supposed to climb. And it wasn't more, I don't, the exact timeline I think is maybe 10, 12 years into my career, all of a sudden I find myself editing the number one show on television, which was the first season of Empire at the time, which for anybody that remembers when Empire came out, it was a ratings juggernaut and it was breaking decades worth of network ratings records. So I was sitting inside my small, dark windowless editing room that it took three hours of commuting a day to get to and back. Um, and I knew that within two weeks, about 25 million people were going to watch live what I was cutting in my timeline. So if that's not the pinnacle of the industry's definition of success, I don't know what is. At the same time, I had spent the last four or five months straight putting my children to bed via FaceTime every single night. And at the time, my son was five, my daughter was about three, and uh, my wife, of course, was on the, the call with them, and they thought they had hung up, and they hadn't, and I overheard my son saying to my wife, why doesn't daddy want to put us to bed at night? Why doesn't he love us? So here I was at the height of my success, simultaneously hitting rock bottom, and realizing I have basically hit the peak of a career for which it has a lifestyle I am unwilling to live for the next 35 years. And I had a pretty massive identity crisis, which is, and this, this is a, a danger and a trap that I think so many creative people fall into. And you even see it on their about pages and their LinkedIn bios. Um, what I do is not a job, it's who I am. And I thought that was a great tagline until I realized that my entire life was driven by my identity being attached to my job. And I just had a massive crisis of identity and massive crisis of burnout where I said, this is the only way that I know how to make a living. It's the only thing anybody's ever paid me to do. And I don't want to do just this one thing for the next 35 years. So that was really when 
the the exploration began to learn more about not just what does the industry's definition of success mean to me, but what what do I define as success? And I realized that what I really defined as success was being able to do work that I love doing. I still want to be a storyteller. I still love being a, a craftsman. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to make sure the work that I was a part of had a positive impact, all while simultaneously being able to help my kids with their homework when they got home from school, which in this industry, seemingly impossible. It's a little bit easier now, given, you know, post-pandemic, so many people work from home. There was no such thing as working from home and working in television um, seven, eight years ago. Uh, so I really had to ask the big questions about how does my lifestyle need to change? How does my career need to change? Um, how do I change the way that I generate income and support my family such that I can meet the one specific goal of I want to make sure that I'm available for my kids when they get home from school and I want to build a more sustainable career path that isn't just this end endless loop of working really, really hard and then burning out and then working really, really hard and burning out. Um, and just for, you know, full disclosure, still in the process of trying to figure that out. Um, you know, it's still very much an exploration. It's not a, a code that I've cracked. It's just a, a problem that I'm actively learning how to solve even to this day. Zach, thank you so much for sharing that story with us. I, I'm so, so grateful to have you here. Um, and I think that listeners, many listeners will find so much to relate to in the story that you just shared, even if their career path and life in general, you know, is completely different from yours in the details of it. There are several themes that come up for me in what you shared that I think are really, really relevant to folks who struggle with chronic symptoms. And one of those is a narrative that I see pop up over and over and over again in folks that I work with and also in my in myself, in my own experience, which is this experience of wanting something so badly, putting so much stakes behind this this thing that we want to achieve, working at it, just, you know, being so driven and right in that moment where it's like you're about to grab the golden ring, so to speak, being just whacked over the head by something, whether it is burnout, whether it's an identity crisis, whether it is a flare up of symptoms or the first flare up of chronic symptoms, something that just whacks you over the head and takes you out. And, um, you know, something that I know I've experienced and I know many clients have experienced is that sometimes it almost feels like punishment. Like who the heck did I think I was reaching for this thing? I don't know if that's something you relate to because I see you nodding. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that uh, imposter syndrome is just absolutely raging and rampant for just about everybody that's in any form of a creative industry and frankly, outside of creative industries as well. But I think it's especially rampant for those that do creative work because it's really hard to separate our ideas and our passions and the stories or the visuals or whatever it is that we're putting out into the world. It's very hard to separate that from who we are because yeah. we're taking a part of ourselves and we're putting it into our work. So I think that it just exacerbates a lot of that imposter syndrome or those fears or those anxieties. Uh, and I don't think that it's a coincidence that in every major transitional period of my life, I can remember going from one stage, like for example, going from empire to making the transition to slowly 
um, building a, a coaching program, for example, and remembering very distinct periods of either total and complete exhaustion or depression or burnout or issues with pain or injuries. Like, yeah, I mean, I, you, I could almost chart it out where if I had two separate distinct charts, if I had the, the memory recall to chart out pain levels and energy levels, it would be directly proportionate to all the major life transitions that I've made. And I've learned how to become much more attuned to the fact that what I often find is this, the, the contradictory nature of just as all the things start to come together that you've been waiting for and working for, just expect the closer that you get to that, the closer you are to your life completely and totally falling apart simultaneously. So it did like that, having said that to, to talk a little insider baseball, at least as of recording this, I just got COVID a couple of weeks ago. I made it over three years, totally escaped it. All the news reports is, hey, COVID is over and there's no more health crisis and no more health scare. And then, of course, then I get it. And I don't think it's, it, I, I believe and I can't explain all the forces in the universe, but I believe that it wasn't just by coincidence because I happened to go to some networking event where somebody had it. Um, I'm going through a major and very scary transitional period with my business right now where I'm going through a pretty big stage of growth. And coupled with that is lots of exhaustion and feelings of burnout. And all of a sudden I get hit with COVID and I have to sleep all the time. And it's to me, it's no coincidence that all those things are happening while all of the other great things are happening, too, because it's at least the fourth time, at least that I can count of everything finally coming together that I've worked so hard for while, while simultaneously all the pieces were kind of crumbling too. And it's just, I found that it's, it requires an immense amount of patience and just being accepting of, all right, well, this is what it is. And I would love to be working 18 hours a day right now, given all the things that are on my calendar, but you know what, I'm going to work four hours a day and I'm going to sleep the rest because that's what my body and mind are telling me that I need. And I have to be confident enough that I'm still going to end up where I want to end up, just maybe not on the, the perfect timetable. So um, I, I would guess that a lot of people can probably relate to that. Yes, I would guess that as well. And I really appreciate that you, you've you developed the awareness in your own life and you're sharing it with other people that it's it's pretty predictable that just as we arrive at these like pinnacles of change, pinnacles of Maybe it's a pinnacle of success. Maybe it's a pinnacle of reaching for that next thing that we want that you can pretty much expect there's going to be some sort of a backlash in your mind-body system. And the way that I describe it is that there are these two parts of us that are kind of wrestling with each other. There's this really beautiful, pure and innocent internal passion and desire or creativity, whatever you want to call it, your life force, you know, that's like, that wants to do things in the world. It wants to express itself. It wants to be known and seen and expand into the world. And for a host of different reasons, maybe it was uh, an element of our upbringing. Maybe it was our cultural conditioning. Maybe it was who knows what. We've been conditioned to fear this life energy. Maybe there have we've gotten blowback for expressing ourselves, for striving, for standing up for ourselves, for you know taking up space, and so this fear part of ourselves comes right in just as we're about to expand and reach for that thing, and says, "Hang on, wait a minute, you can't do that. This is dangerous. I'm going to tackle you to the ground." Yeah, I mean the the I think that whether it's conditioning, whether it's family, whether it's culture. 
Um, I think that largely we're just, we're told in so many words that we need to stay in our lane. Yeah. Whatever that means. I mean, your, your lane could be, you were born with $5 million, but you couldn't, you know, have $50 million because people like us, we stay in our lane with $5 million. Yeah. Or, you know, you grew up in poverty and people like us don't deserve to make six figures a year. Whatever it is, um, we're just conditioned to just believe this is the way that it is. We've got this fixed mindset and we need to stay in our lane, do what we're told. The education system drills this into us where we're basically taught, here's how to follow rules. Here's how to show up on time. Here's how to meet all the requirements of the standardized tests. And as soon as you deviate from the norm in any respect, you're weird or you're different or you're an outcast or you're an outlier. However, paradoxically, those that are the most successful are the ones that we put on the pedestals. They're the outliers that defied all the norms. So we're taught follow this very conventional path, but let's worship the people that have deviated from the path. And it just creates this massive disconnect in mind and body and spirit. So I think that with, with all these major transitions, that when I say it's a crisis of identity, that crisis of identity is physically manifested in the body. And I think for people it manifests differently, this is not my area of expertise, it's yours. But I know for me that it's a combination of increased anxiety and it's exhaustion, which either manifests itself as burnout and or depression. Um, so what, when, when I start to feel those things coming on, it's not just a matter of, ooh, I must be coming down with something. I know there's something else going on in my life. And there was, there's a story that I've, I, I know that I've told it before, but I don't tell it often. But the first thing that came to my mind, um, if we go a couple years after kind of that, uh, you know, the, being at the pinnacle and being at rock bottom simultaneously on Empire, I was now about two years in to fitness and post and wasn't really making a lot of money yet, but was just learning how do I monetize and how do I put together a community and how do I sell something for $97? Kind of a, a lot of people that are making the transition to the online information space, like that's the early part of their journey. Um, and what I done when I started fitness and post, it actually just started as a hiking group. It was just a matter of, I want to surround myself with a bunch of editors and we're going to go hiking on Sundays and we're going to wear Fitbits and heart rate monitors, compete for the most steps and burning calories. And Hey, what if we talked about our journey on, on a podcast? So that was how it all started. So what I would do every three months is I would put together what I would call challenge groups. And there were like 10, 12, 14 people. And we would have a little leaderboard and we would compete. But in the course of those two or three years, I started to build this organic following of people like you that I had no idea were even following me. I was just doing my thing. And I put together a five-day challenge. And rather than getting 10 or 12 or 14 people, I got 1,100 people to sign up for this five-day challenge. It was a free challenge, which of course led into an online program, but I was only a couple of years into this. And what happened during that five day challenge basically leveled me for a year. And it was one Facebook post that I'll never forget. Wow. And there was, it, it, I was getting 50 Facebook posts in this Facebook group a day. It was this closed group of 1,100 people. And I would do video on here's how to set up your standing desk and here's how to take a walk in the afternoon. Just simple, basic, common sense stuff. But the feeling of accountability and the feeling of acceptance that people had that they were allowed to take a lunch break or take a walk. There was just this, this groundswell of this, uh, the, the sea change in the way that we saw our work. Yeah. And one person posted on Facebook. I don't even remember the rest of the post. I just remember the one sentence that basically took me down. This person said, Zach, you are a true thought leader. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't be throwing around words like thought leader. I'm not a thought leader. My life is a shit show. And I'm just trying to figure all this out. 
And that was a massive, massive identity crisis. And I was hit with a huge amount of imposter syndrome so badly, in fact, that when I was doing a, like a, a live webinar at the end of this week, where it was like an hour long presentation that, of course, led into people joining my paid program, I had such high anxiety that I had a panic attack during the webinar. And I don't know if this is a video podcast or an audio podcast, but essentially what I did, I was standing right here in this exact spot. I gave half of my presentation like this, so I didn't keel over and pass out. Wow. For those who can't see the video, Zach just kneeled down on his knees and I could just see like the upper half. I literally was, I was kneeling at my desk for half an hour and I didn't have the camera on. It was just a keynote slide presentation. So people didn't know, but I was kneeling at my desk so I wouldn't pass out from the anxiety and I got myself through that webinar. But after I was done with that launch, I had eight months of nothingness. I had the worst period of burnout that I've ever had. And I call 2017 my lost year. That was my body and my mind saying, this is a huge, massive shift in who you are and what you do. And it took me almost a year to come out of it. But what came out of that year was the transition from fitness and post to optimize yourself. That was the year that I rebranded. And it wasn't just a website rebrand. It wasn't just, I need to change my URL and change my logo. It was essentially me rebranding who I was as a person. And it took me years after that to figure out how do I crack the code on actually doing this for a living. And I still edit Cobra Kai because I love it. But other than that, I'm retired as an editor and I don't take any other work because this is now what I do for a living. But that was just a major transformational shift that completely leveled me for months that I didn't see coming. But now when I start to feel those things coming on or conversely, whenever I start to feel that things are really ramping up and I build them, I always go into it with, you know, some some pragmatic optimism of things are going really well right now, but I, I also know what's coming with it. So I'm just, I'm going to curb my enthusiasm. Nice. I love the TV reference thrown in there. Wow. What an incredible, dramatic story. And I mean, something that really struck me is that what kind of ensued from that huge influx of energy and attention to your work that was unexpected and sudden, it sounded like, there was a major backlash that took place in your mind-body system that took you down. And there was this major expansion that took place afterward, coming out with your new podcast, really expanding into your work. And it's really interesting that those two things could both happen in the aftermath. Yeah. And if, if I were to boil it down to, to one thing that was going on, and it took me months and months and months of therapy to get to this, by the way, so this was not an easy conclusion. No. Um, and I highly recommend the value of talk therapy just in general, but it's specifically if people are going through this form of a life transition, going and working with a coach or working with a therapist, I think is absolutely vital. But what it all came down to was I was asking myself one simple question, who am I to think that I can be giving other people advice about how to live their life. That's what it all came down to. Um, and my guess is that's something that you can probably relate to as well. Yeah. Who am I as a reality TV editor to think that I can tell people how to improve their chronic pain? Um, it's it's a very, very common process that I think a lot of people go through when they, they put themselves in the position of helping others. 
Um, cause you, when you look at the experts that are out there, if you follow other podcasters or you read people's books or you take their courses, you just make the assumption they have everything figured out. They have gone through the process. They have now figured out their life. They've overcome whatever their challenges are. Here's my version of my life is all figured out. And I'm going to give you the keys so you can do the same. But then you start doing it yourself and you're like, but I'm still a total mess and I'm still figuring this out. And I need to wait until it's all perfect. Once I have figured out my life and all of my course materials are perfect and my podcast is perfect and my coaching program is perfect, then I can put it out there. But if you're waiting for that moment, it never, ever, ever happens. So I've, I've learned to embrace the imperfection and all the work that I do. And what I have found is that the more vulnerable you are about that imperfection, the more you actually attract a lot of the right people. Absolutely. And I have personally found that the more open, accepting and vulnerable that I become with my imperfect, you know, my humanness. I'm not even going to call it imperfection because that sort of validates the idea mm -hmm. that there is this state called perfection. The more I accept just how I am and I'm open about it instead of trying to hide it. And that's an ongoing process. I'm still very, very much in it. I'm sure I'll continue to be. But every time I kind of let down my guard a little bit more, I notice that my symptoms improve which is pretty interesting. Yeah, the the soon the the, the sooner you are uh, able to accept your circumstances, the easier it becomes to start addressing it and moving through it. Uh, it's the same way that I feel about burnout is that the the whenever people say, well, you know, what are the the five quick tips that you can provide in listicle form to overcome burnout? Um, and I have succumbed to actually writing a piece that uh, actually solves that problem because I got tired of people asking me uh, so often. So I, I don't think that it's as simple as you can have these five simple steps. However, I universally believe that the first step is you have to accept that the burnout actually exists. Because it's one thing to say, well, you know, I, everybody says that I'm burned out. So what are these five things that I need to do to, to get over it, to alleviate the anxiety or have more energy or whatever it is? And I see first you have to actually believe that it exists because most people don't even believe that it's a thing or that it exists. And it's so easy to think, well, I'm just making it up in my head. I just need to get more sleep. If I could just get a good weekend of sleep, I would be just fine. So for me, the, the first step, whether it's burnout, same thing with anxiety, same thing with depression or dealing with chronic pain, all of which these are, you know, some forms of it, um, but just acknowledging that it actually exists. You have to have that level of awareness before anything's ever going to change. Yeah. You know, I love that. And I'm thinking of what you were saying earlier about cur curbing your enthusiasm. Now that you've had quite a bit of experience and awareness around this, you know, the the backlash that occurs when we're expanding into the next phase of our, our passion, our calling, whatever it is. Um, how do you, like, what, what have you learned is helpful in order to soften your system and in, in order to not eliminate those backlashes, but kind of maybe make space for and support them? Yeah, for, for me, the the biggest, it's both a, a theoretical mindset, but also a very practical tip that you can put on a calendar uh, is you need to reset your expectations of what's possible. 
Um, the, the root cause, I believe, of just about any kind of burnout is setting unrealistic expectations. A lot of that is set externally, especially in the entertainment industry by the uh, ridiculous deadlines, the budgets. Um, but just I think that we also set unrealistic expectations for what we think we should be capable of. Uh, the word should is a very, very dangerous one when it comes to chronic pain and mental health issues and burnout as well. I should be able to do this or I should be able to get this done in this amount of time or I should be capable of meeting this expectation. So for me, the first thing that I do as soon as I start to to notice that all of this is creeping in is I completely reset my expectations of what's actually possible. And that doesn't mean I, I'm trying to, to make my life easier, you know, make things lazy. Um, but I just think to myself, how can I give myself twice as much time to accomplish half as much? And when I give myself that breathing space, at first, it's really difficult for somebody that's very much a recovering perfectionist and an ultra high achiever. Uh, but then as I start to buy myself the space, I realize, oh, I am actually still accomplishing a lot more than probably a lot of people are, but I'm doing it in a more sustainable way and I'm getting more sleep and um, look at that. I didn't need to work 14 hours straight every single day to feel like I accomplished something. So it can actually be kind of fun to accomplish something and record a great podcast and also take a nap and spend a couple hours playing Fortnite with my kids. You know, and you, you realize that there there's more to life than just always chasing the next uh, to-do list item on your calendar. Yeah. You know, so many folks who listen to this podcast, folks who experience chronic symptoms can really, really relate to that you know, the perfectionism, the high achieving, that just driving yourself and pushing, pushing, pushing. And I just want to offer a very quick aside to those listeners who might be listening to us and thinking, well, I don't really relate. You know, I've got chronic symptoms. I don't really relate to the high achiever perfectionist thing. Something that you might consider, because I, I experience perfectionism in my career, an area where I feel like, no, I'm not a perfectionist is in uh, like, keeping up my home, like keeping things clean and stuff like that. I feel like, well, I just, I'm very lazy in that area. That's the negative self-talk that mm -hmm. tends to come up for me. But something that I recognized after sitting with it for a while is I've got such a high standard for cleaning that I just kind of collapse and, and can't confront it because I don't want to begin something that I can't achieve, quote unquote, perfectly. So it can manifest in some different ways. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely had the same issue where what, what I would consider like C-level work is probably what most people would, you know, consider this is my best work or my my A-level effort. Um, mm -hmm. But I just I set su such ridiculously high unachievable expectations for myself, which, you know, a lot goes back to both being conditioned by society and expectations for success, which is also, you know, my own family and the expectations growing up in my house. Um, but it's it's it can be very debilitating when you have a, a vision in your head of what you should be able to achieve. And oftentimes, if you can't meet that, why even bother starting? Yeah. Um, so that that's often a, a much larger indicator of procrastination than, well, I'm I'm lazy or this is just boring. And it's much more about do I really, really want to dive into this because I have a vision for what it's going to take. And I just don't know if I'm ready to put in the, the effort or mm -hmm. have the attention to, to be able to do it. So um, I, I can relate to all of that. Yeah, I think this might actually be a great segue into um, our, another but related topic that I'd love to um, get your wisdom on and your experience on. So 
I know that a lot of folks in the creative community who've been listening to your podcast and following you for years, a lot of those folks look to you as an expert specifically on productivity Mm. and productivity and overwhelm about productivity is a big challenge for many creatives, period, but also specifically many creatives who struggle with chronic symptoms, um, especially those who also identify as having ADHD, which I think there's a lot of uh, intersection there. Um, And I'm curious to hear your take on what are some of the most common challenges that you see in this area of productivity and also what are some of the tools that you've developed that have been helpful to you and that you share with your students in this area? Yeah, I uh, I could talk about this all day. In fact, I could podcast about it for months and months and months and develop entire online courses and coaching programs around this topic. So uh, this is clearly near and dear to my heart. Um, the first thing that I'll dig into even before talking about the tools or the resources is my feelings about the word productivity, because I've actually had quite a backlash against this word uh, in the last few years. Um, when I began this journey of very much in the same camp of the, the highly creative mind that was totally disorganized, um, uh, I was diagnosed with adult onset ADD in my mid-20s and had no idea how I could go from valedictorian of my high school, top 5% at the University of Michigan, to not being able to simultaneously do my laundry and pay my bills. Like, I literally just couldn't function. I'm like, what is wrong with me? And realized that it was just, it was a matter of brain chemistry and, you know, all the things that come along with the perfect cocktail of anxiety, depression, and burnout and ADHD. It's very hard to separate them. And usually when somebody um, has one, they usually have a multitude of uh, most of that cocktail. Um, so for me, I was really striving to become more productive and learn the apps and learn the calendars and all the systems and do the GTD uh, until I realized that productivity is essentially a cult that is an endless black hole. Um, the reason I say that is because the, the goal of productivity is supposed to be that I can become better at what I do so I have more space in my life to do things that are important. However, the way that productivity is now largely taught on the productivity blogs and the productivity books and the productivity podcasts is now that I have all these tools to do things more efficiently, I'm going to do more shit. No, that's not what productivity is supposed to be. Remember when we used to beat our clothes against a rock and we had a washboard and how having a washer and dryer was going to buy us all this free time and now we don't have to make our own butter and we have refrigerators? What are we using with all that free time that we have? Are we reading books? Are we sleeping more? Are we traveling? No, we cram more crap into our lives. And I think that with the speed at which technology is moving, and I think this is going to be such a detriment to people that don't see it coming with the advent of AI, we are going to be so trapped in our apps ruling us and productivity ruling us that any semblance of having that space outside of life is going to totally disappear if we're not completely intentional about being quote unquote productive. So I actually don't like using the word productivity anymore. And my team and I specifically have gone through the website. Anywhere that I talk about productivity, I now instead talk about making sure that you optimize how you use your time because they're two very different things. So just having said that, if if I use the term productivity, I'm going to be using it in this sense, but it's really about how do I make sure that I'm at peace with how I use my time? So having framed it that way, a very long story short to get to your question, 
if we're talking about specific tools or resources or frameworks that I've used. The first one is a mindset shift. And the mindset shift when it comes to being more quote unquote productive or better using your time, it's that you have to stop focus on if stop focusing on being efficient and you have to focus on being effective. Because all of the apps, all of the to-do lists, all of the automations, all of the AI that's coming out, all the calendar programs, it's some version of how can you do things more efficiently. I don't want to be more efficient because efficiency just breeds more efficiency, which breeds more efficiency, which gets us into that black hole. What I want to know is that I'm more effective with my time. And the difference is that in the, the example that I use, because I teach this all the time, is when you're building relationships with people and growing your network, if you're going to send outreach emails, I believe that sending outreach emails is a really great way to connect with people that are doing now what you want to be doing next. So I can efficiently show you how to send 50 to 100 outreach messages a week. I have all of the tools, all of the CRN systems, all the automations, all the templates. I could teach you to send 100 outreach emails a week, which is incredibly efficient and it's ridiculously ineffective. So rather, I teach people the system to write one outreach email a week. And that's if they're really clipping along and they're doing well, they're sending one a week. It's usually one or two a month. However, they're incredibly effective because they lead to connections, they lead to genuine relationships, and at some point it might even lead to somebody landing their dream job. The same can be said for how you manage any tasks or time blocks during your day. So what I always ask is if I'm looking at a time block, it's not just, is this the, the most efficient use of my time? The only way it's an effective use of my time is if it's actually leading me towards goals that are meaningful to me. So if I'm doing a bunch of stuff all day long and I'm putting out fires and I'm running around and I feel busy and I'm living in this thing called the theater of work, I don't care if you're more efficient than me. Tons of people are more efficient than me, but I would be hard pressed to find a lot of people that are more effective with the very minimal amount of time that I use compared to others because I'm very intentional about what goes on the calendar, where it goes on any given day and where it goes on any given week. And if it doesn't answer yes to the question, is this moving my, me closer to my goals, then why the hell is it on my calendar at all? Like when you're in your 20s, yeah, you want to pay your dues and you work hard and you're a machine and yeah, everybody kind of goes through that phase. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, slowly teetering towards the second half of my life. And my time is more valuable to me than the, the money that I'm exchanging for it. So whatever's going on my calendar better be a really, really good use of my time, which is why being on this podcast right now is the only thing on the planet that I'm doing from the time that we connected until the time that we're done. This is it. It's the only thing going on my calendar because I know that it's an effective use of my time and I will sleep better knowing that I did it. But I also have to be very, very careful about setting boundaries and using this magical, magical word. And that word is no. When you learn how to use the word no, your life completely changes. So if, if, there, if there is one quote unquote productivity tip for people that want to be more effective with their time, it's learn how to use the word no. Yes. Hallelujah. And again, for those who are not watching a video version of this, I just I raised my hands in hallelujah when I heard you talk about the word no, which I have heard many chronic pain experts describe the word no as the most powerful tool in chronic pain recovery. And in many ways, I agree with that. I so appreciate this wisdom that you're sharing with us. And 
if I could put my takeaway from it into a nutshell, I would say that, you know, I, I, I love the, um, the explanation that you gave about the shift you've made in your relationship to that word productivity and what it means in our society. And that, that version of productivity that you're steering yourself away from to me is about people pleasing, appearing productive to others, trying to prove our worth to others by these external measures all of which are chronic pain triggers because our mind thinks that these are the ways that we're going to cement our place in society, our our place in the tribe, our connection with other people. But our body freaking hates being used as a machine, a cog in the system to feed capitalism or whatever. Our body hates being used in that way. It hates being exploited in that way. Um, and it will protest with symptoms. And what I took from the version of, uh, I'm going to use the word productivity, but the 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 version that you are shifting toward and um, supporting other people with, to me, that sounded like it's about using your time in a way that is aligned with your inner purpose, being guided by that inner purpose, that inner knowing, that inner passion, um, and honoring that and prioritizing yeah, it's, that. It's, 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 for me, it's so much less about developing the skills of productivity, and it's about developing the skill of intentionality. Um, so the, the, the impression that I don't want to give is that because I feel so much more aligned with what my calling is and I get so much meaning out of doing the podcast or writing a blog or writing a newsletter or coaching my students, it doesn't mean that I don't have problems in my life and it doesn't mean that it's not completely and totally exhausting. What it means is that at the end of the day, I look at my calendar and I go to sleep at night knowing this is how I wanna spend my time. Um, and that to me manifests very, very different symptoms. Um, so for me, whenever I know that I'm dealing with any form of chronic pain of which having spent five years in my forties, uh, becoming an American Ninja warrior, I could spend many hours talking about chronic pain problems and injuries, trust me, some of which are very acute and just based on, you know, doing stupid shit with my body that I shouldn't be doing, um, with no apologies, but some of it is just also, again, like we talked about the, the hard charging nature of, uh, being very ambitious and driven. Um, but the the symptoms manifest themselves very differently when it's a matter of I'm just I'm physically putting in too many hours or I'm worried about the next launch versus I'm not in alignment with the work that I do. Um, so it's it's not that they both don't end up leading to some form of exhaustion, um, but the the difference for me and it's it's really really hard to put into words and maybe you have vocabulary that can help me. Um, better uh, explain it. Um, but when I think about the, if I were to work the same number of hours, seven, eight years ago, working on a show like Empire, or I work the same number of hours now, which is not terribly, you know, it, it's pretty close to the truth. Um, but just the, the heavy weight and the giant pit in my stomach of despair, of feeling like somebody had just completely sucked the soul out of my body. That's the way it felt before. And now it's just a matter of, Oh man, I'm tired. I can't wait for Monday morning, but boy, do I need a weekend off. That's the difference. Yeah. Um, so even though, especially right now with a transition that I'm making, that I think so many, um, everybody hits kind of this very scary growth phase 
of when they're making the transition from I worked for others and I had a steady paycheck to I start to dabble and I've got a side hustle and oh, I've got some extra income coming in. This is great. And then all of a sudden you start to remove the steady income and now you're making less doing the thing you love. There's still a lot of that anxiety, but I don't question that anxiety anymore because I know that I'll get through it. Um, but I never once have gone through this period for the last several years and said, well, I really shouldn't be doing this or this is too scary. It's a matter of, I know I'm doing the right thing. And when you're going through hell, you just keep going versus my body constantly telling me, get out of this run. You must get as far from this life as possible. So I, I don't know of a, a succinct way to, to really clarify the difference, but that's how it feels different, even though, you know, lifestyles are not that terribly different between the two, but having the connection to that purpose, it feels so different at the end of the day and the end of the week. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the, anal I, I love to use analogies in mind, body healing. And one of the analogies I like to use a lot is that our mind and our body are partners, much like members of a couple are partners and partnership can can be hard at times there's no way around it but working on a partnership feels different if you are calling each other names and you know using each other transactionally versus if the intentions there are mutual support it might be the same amount of work that you're doing together but it feels very different energetically yeah. And I would even add to that. I love the partnership analogy and I too love a good analogy. Love my analogies and my metaphors. Um, but if we're going to continue with a partner analogy, there's also a, a huge difference between there's this conflict or misunderstanding or whatever it might be. One person's willing to work on it and the other one isn't versus we both see the problem and we're working through it together. In my previous life as an editor, it was like, I see that there's a tremendous problem here and I want to work through it, but the industry totally and completely denies that there's anything wrong and this is business as usual and status quo and this is just normal. And if you can't hack it, it means there's something wrong with you and you're broken. No, the system is broken, but you want me to believe that I'm the problem as opposed to you. Same thing in a relationship. If it's one person that sees the problem and the other one is unwilling to recognize there's an issue, the amount of tension and conflict or the manifestation of chronic pain is going to be totally different than we both have the same goal. We both want to work through this conflict. It's it's night and day. And I think that our, our relationship with work in that respect is what's so broken. I couldn't agree more with you. And I'll dovetail onto that by saying, again, one of the, I don't know if there's a metaphor, but something that I... Um, find helpful in conceptualizing chronic pain recovery is that we've got to shift out of the idea that our body is broken and malfunctioning and shift into the idea that the way our, you know, the expectations that our society has set up for us, the way that our work life is constructed, the, the habits that we've learned of perfectionism and self-criticism, those are the things that are broken. And our body is pretty much responding appropriately to a broken system when it is crying out in symptoms. Yeah. And I think that what, what we lose sight of, and I'm definitely not, not an evolutionary biologist and I don't pretend to be one on TV. So this is all speculative and I don't have the research to back it up, but I think it's pretty clear that with the speed the world has changed over the last hundred or so years, um, from an evolutionary perspective, we have not caught up. Um, I feel like right now, as far as evolution and our genetics are concerned, we're just starting to figure out electricity. That's about where we are right now. 
is that we're still struggling with circadian rhythms and our body doesn't understand why is there all this bright light after the sun went down? We're about 150 or more years behind all of the things that are actually coming at our brain and our body 24 seven. So with the advent of the internet and being connected to screens 24 hours a day and the speed at which we not only communicate, but the speed at which we're expected to communicate, our brains just literally haven't caught up and our bodies are saying, I just, I can't do it. Like just things need to slow down, but because things have evolved so quickly in our culture, the expectation is I should always be available to respond to that text message or to that email, or now with the, you know, working from home, or as I say, more accurately living at work. Um, the expectation is that at any given day during the day, the evening, or even the weekend, well, you're home in front of your workstation anyway. So can we just do this thing real quick? Our bodies and our minds haven't caught up to any of this yet, yet we still wonder what's wrong with us. Why am I broken and why can't I take it? The system is what's broken. Agreed. Agreed. Change the system, not the inner self. Um, I want to ask you this question, and you've you've kind of gone into this in, in lots of different ways throughout our conversation, but if you were to summarize how your life has changed in tangible ways through this journey that you've been on, that you continue to be on. I know, you know, I love that you share that you're a work in progress. So am I. So are we all. Um, and I'm curious how you would summarize the tangible uh, changes to your life, whether it's in terms of the work that you do, your family life, your physical or emotional life, what have you. Yeah, I think that the it's a really good question. Uh, and the the tangible changes, the first of which would be that even though I still consider myself a recovering perfectionist and a recovering workaholic, um, I find that in the in the way that I've redesigned my lifestyle, um, I have a lot more breathing room and room for error and more margins. So an example would be that let's say that I had gotten COVID when I was in the middle of a really horrible stretch on Cobra Kai, that would have been incredibly disruptive. And it's not to say that it still wasn't disruptive just in the sense that, you know, my wife and my daughter who didn't have it, they had to stay at, you know, grandma's house for a week. Like it was annoying. Uh, but my ability to just say, you know what? I'm just going to cancel what's on my calendar and I'm going to move this podcast and a whole series of other interviews and all these tasks that I said needed to get done. Well, it's my business and they're my goals. So I'm going to take the next five days and I'm going to sleep in until 11 o'clock and I'm going to play copious amounts of Fortnite and I'm going to watch some really scary movies with my son because my son also got it. So we were trapped in quarantine together for a week um, and it could have been absolutely miserable and horrible. And I kind of have some really cool stories and some really cool memories. And had I not redesigned uh, my world in which work is fit around life as opposed to life having to fit around work, this would have been a very different, a much more miserable experience than it was. And it was still a pretty miserable experience. Um, but I came away with it thinking this could be a lot worse and this isn't so bad. And, you know, I got to spend some quality time with my son. Um, so I think that's the first one is just uh, allowing myself more margins and room for error when things don't go as expected. Uh, and I think that the, the other really tangible takeaway and this one has been a transition that has taken a few years to shift. Um, but because we're so conditioned to define success by income and by awards and by prestige, it's so easy to get sucked back into that. And it took me about three years of having to apologize before saying no to good opportunities to finally proudly saying, nope, not interested, don't even need to take an interview. 
Um, and at a point a little over a year ago now, I got a text message from my agent right after I had wrapped season five of Cobra Kai. Uh, and he said, we wanted to start setting up meetings. We've got some shows that are interested. We want you to meet some directors and showrunners. I sent back one sentence. I am retired. And that amazing. was amazing. Amazing. That was scary as hell to hit the send button, but I knew that it was time. So now the the way that I find defining my success, which is so much more rewarding, is I define my success by my student success. So it's it's not just a, a sales tagline or good copywriting, although it is also good copywriting. But I say uh, in the the enrollment for my coaching program um, that it's my my I'm in the business of getting you results. I don't succeed unless you succeed, and I take that very, very seriously. And it's just as exhausting, and it can create just as much stress. But the level of reward that I get from helping somebody else become successful, or make a career transition, or learn to better manage their time, or learn to better set boundaries, that to me is so much more fulfilling than, ooh, I negotiated an extra $200 a week on my next show, or wow, this is going to be the number one show on Netflix. Like, if, if you've been editing things for your whole career that nobody ever sees, there's a short-lived period where when hundreds of millions of people see your work, it feels like you've won the lottery. But they've done extensive psychological studies and people that win the lottery within six months go back to their same baseline level of happiness. And what I've actually found is a very tangible change is my baseline level of happiness has gone up considerably because I now associate my happiness and fulfillment with other people's happiness and results rather than my own. So that, that's that been a really cool, tangible result. The other tangible result is I'm a lot poorer than I used to be. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that I can fix that problem eventually, um, but at least right now I'm at the point where I can, I can support myself and make sure that my family doesn't go hungry by coaching and doing the podcast and everything else and, you know, hoping to to get to the point where it's not just breaking breaking even, but just getting to the point where it's breaking even has been quite the journey so far. You know, I think that's a really beautiful lead-in to the final question that I want to ask you because I there's a lot I really relate to there of like letting go of that career that you've built up. It's taken so much work to build it up, you know, in I felt similarly about the career that I built up in reality TV. It was not easy to build that career. It was quite lucrative. There were a lot of should voices in my head telling me that I should stick with that, even though it's not what I wanted to do. And so I can really just imagine how much bravery and guts it took for you to let go and detach from the should career and move into your authentic desire um, and losing some significant things along the way, but gaining other things. Um, If there is a listener, and I'm sure there will be many to this episode, who's thinking, gosh, I want to do that. I want to muster up that bravery. I want to enter into a more authentic relationship with my life, but I feel like I'm light years um, behind where Zach is. He's gone through all this self-development and learning and discovery and, you know, all this stuff. And I feel like I'm right at the beginning at square one. I feel super overwhelmed. I heard a million things I want to remember from this podcast, but I already forgot them. And I don't know where to start. What words of encouragement would you give to that person? 
Yeah, so this is a, a strategy that uh, I've learned and honed and refined from the years that I've been training for both Spartan races and for American Ninja Warrior. Um, and it's kind of twofold. Uh, the first of which is that you have to be prepared to not be prepared. If you're waiting for that moment where all of a sudden things make a whole lot of sense and you're ready to go forwards and you're ready to take action and make the transition, if you're waiting for that moment and that feeling, it is never coming. So you just have to be in a position where you're prepared to not be prepared. And what I would suggest is that whatever it is that you are leaning towards, whether it's I want to start a business or I want to make a career transition to getting a degree to help people with chronic pain, whatever it might be, um, it's going to be really, really scary and it's going to feel overwhelming and you have to break it down into the smallest component parts. And what you need to do is find the scariest version of something that you can do. So an example would be in the, the American Ninja Warrior journey that I went on when I started, I could have won competitions in the dad bod category. Like I was not in good shape. Um, I, I was at the tail end of uh, all the, the burnout and depression that I had experienced for almost a year and walking three quarters of a mile around the block in my hilly neighborhood. That was about the extent of my fitness. So thinking to myself, I'm going to become an American Ninja Warrior. That's crazy. That's just stupid. Like that's overwhelming but I could probably check out the CrossFit class down the street. It's really scary and it's going to kick my butt, but I can start with the basics and I'll try CrossFit and I'll suck at climbing the rope and I can't do the rowing machine and I'm really out of shape and really immobile, but it's the scariest version of something that I can do that I'm capable of. And then when that becomes easier and doable, then you find the next scariest thing that you can do. And you just stack it on top of each other, on top of each other, on top of each other. And then all of a sudden you're climbing a 50 foot rope in the middle of a redwood forest saying, how the hell did I get up here? So it's, it's a matter of whatever that goal is. I don't want people to limit themselves, but you have to break it down into its smallest component parts. And if you continually make your life about doing the scariest version of something you can do, it's just going to be so much more fun. Really wise words. I think, you know, we're always starting from exactly where we are, wherever that is. And all that we can ever do is take that one doable step forward. Um, Zach, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. Where can people find you and what can they reach out to you for? What, what kinds of things are you offering these days? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, the, the simplest way to find me is just going to my website, optimizeyourself.me. Um, they can also find the optimize yourself podcast and all of the podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and essentially I work with anyone that considers themselves an artist, a creative, a storyteller, a problem solver, and they're looking to design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that they deserve. And I think that one of the first steps that just about everybody hits is I have no idea who to talk to and where to start. Um, everybody has an expert in their life. There's somebody that's doing now what you want to be doing next. And rather than thinking you have to achieve it all on your own, if you ask somebody that's already done it, it's going to make things a whole lot easier. You're going to feel a connection with somebody else and you might even get a mentor in the process. So I specialize in helping creatives connect with other creatives and build relationships and quote unquote network, but without having to sell their soul. Um, so I have a free guide that's called the insider's guide to writing amazing outreach emails. And if they want to get that, they can go to optimize yourself.me slash email guide. 
fantastic. And I'm going to put all of those links in the show notes so that folks can easily find you. I highly encourage folks to follow your podcast, optimize yourself. You will hear me on it in the coming months, which I'm excited about. And just thank you so much, Zach, for taking the time out to have this conversation. I enjoyed it so much. And I know that my listeners will get so much out of it, too. Yeah, no, I, I very much appreciate you uh, inviting me on the show and uh, really appreciate the fact that you asked such such good questions and came so well prepared. And this was an immensely effective use of my time. So, so I very glad. much appreciate it. Glad to hear it and hope to talk to you soon.